Hey everyone, quick note before the episode gets started, when we start talking about Hereditary, we jump into defending our takes on the film pretty quick and reveal some big plot points. You'll definitely get more out of the episode if you watch it beforehand, but if you choose to go in blind, be warned, big fast spoilers ahead. Enjoy. You go to bed, it's been a long day. You wake up, and there's naked people in your room smiling at you. What do you do? I checked the calendar. It's probably Thursday. Oh, shit. <laughs> Tell me more about this life. I yeah. got It's for the podcast that I'm doing called What's Garrett Up To? Mark, I'm not married, baby. I'm living free out there. <laughs> and they're just like, I'm here for the gangbang. Oh, whoa. We're here a little early. <laughs> yeah. Are you awake yet? About We're ready to weeks. bang. I'd be like, well, fuck ADT. Thank you for taking my money and not keeping out these ghosts. <laughs> His security system sucks. Yeah, Jesus. Um, I mean, panic. Fair. It's probably what I would do. Correct response. Yeah. Uh, since they're naked, I have a one up on them because I don't sleep naked. Sorry, everybody. But, um, you know, so I could junk punch and... And try and you You're know, even go with, out swinging at junk, huh? Oh, for sure. You know, even with clothes, you can still junk punch. Yeah, I know, but think about running and moving and, and not being clothed. I they're feel more, like they're more aerodynamic they're, now. They're in danger, is what they are. Yeah. That's why we invented clothes. All right. Look, I, I don't know how graphical we want to get on this podcast, but I assume everyone's familiar with the male anatomy. You don't want those, especially if we're going off of hereditary. Those people were old. So their stuff's hanging a little bit lower than the rest of us. How many seconds do you need to go from sleep to punch and junk? I think in to- that situation, instantly. Not a, not <laughs> just, many. You're not just like... That uh, is your fight or flight response yeah. to the situation. Is your wife terrified to get up and go to the bathroom without clothes on now? <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I think I'd recognize Sean, you her. just started swinging. <laughs> Uh, for me, um, I would immediately strip naked. Easy to do because I do sleep in my underwear. So I'm almost there. Yeah, I mean, I have boxers and t-shirts. So. And I'd smile right back. Oh, I'm doing creepy with it. I'm doing my best level of mimicry. To creep them out. And then I'm like, you don't know. I'm not one of you now. I'm one of you guys. Yeah. Let's go find somebody else to sleep. <laughs> Watch <laughs> while they sleep. Like, oh, did, I go, did I sleep through the alarm? Hold on. Let me get naked. The okay. illusion's complete. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where did our prey go? He's, he's not here anymore. I'm just one of them. <laughs> He said, "You pull out the duck season, rabbit season signs." Exactly. <laughs> wow. I don't know. I mean, I definitely would. I don't. Oh man, I'd run. I mean, if I if I had someone in the bed with me, I'd like make sure they were up and good too. But Human like, shield them. No, throw, I think throw I'd them like, into the crowd so of naked. Grab them, like, away? let's go. Like, start running with that okay. person. But just got to be faster than the slowest person. That's how you survive. That's right. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's a, a pretty quick. Like, yeah, we're out. I don't care what this is. I'm I guess out. it depends on where they're standing though, right? Because if like my bedroom only has one door in and out and I'm on the second story of some complex, uh, so there's not a lot of exits. Look, I ride a bike. I've got the muscles in the legs. I just barrel through it. Okay. Just bull run that. Twist on it, Garrett. You notice one of them's John. Bull run it with elbows out. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Grave Talk Podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined by John and Garrett. Fellas, how are we doing today? It's a hot one. I'm doing bad, Mark. I'm do- No, I just wanted to switch it up a little bit. I know. We're always doing pretty good. So. Yeah. Well, here you go. An actual IRL thing. Did you know that car door handles can break so that from the inside of your door, you cannot open it? And you have to roll your window down, open it from the outside. 
because I know that now because that happened to me yesterday. What's an IRL thing? In real life. That's internet speak. Uh, oh, I was like... Ooh, that was an old man moment right there. <laughs> Dude, I don't keep up with the... the no, but IRL's the been around since the 90s. You weren't on AIM? No. You know, IRL, no. ASL, the, all, the, all the key ones. I was out there in real life living it up, Oh, John. you were in IRL. Okay. <laughs> John, let me tell you about... The 1988 Hyundai Excel. Welcome back to Car Talk. I'm your host, Garrett. We're talking about door handles today. This car was such a piece of shit that at some point the mechanic shop stopped listing it in their Bible of cars. <laughs> They're like, just scrap this one. My parents bought two of them. <laughs> they replaced our working good cars with two shit-tier garbage Hyundai Excels from 1988. Do you think it was like a buy one, get one deal? I hope so. Because I, well, I hate the fact that my parents paid money for these things. They were, broke, they were breaking down every other month to the point where one car was operational, the other one was just on the driveway, not moving. That's why you got two. Did right. your parents trade away family members for beans? Because I feel like you've got it. Like to trade in a working car for two shit cars. My dad went up the beanstalk. He went to the giant Hyundai dealership up there and brought down two shit cars. But yes, John, I know what that's like where you have to crawl outside or go through another door to yeah. get out of the car. Um, I'm very familiar. Thankfully, the mechanic was able to fix my door uh, at a hefty price. Fucking Mazda. But it does now open. We're now sponsored by Mazda. Brought to you by Covert Chevrolet. Uh, I'm doing well. Garrett, you sure you're doing all right? Yeah, Is there I'm doing not something good. I'm doing you want to How's your car doors? Okay, Are they yeah. all right? You know, for someone who didn't have a car for like a super long time, the car I do have right now, working pretty awesome. That's good. No complaints. Okay. Let's get into some news. Let's. Let's jump into it. You guys familiar with Barbara Crampton? She was in the Puppet Master movie we just watched. We'll yes. be in Hell House. No, not Hell House. Hell Hotel. Death House. Death House. Hell Death House. House. <laughs> now I'm confused. <laughs> you confused. Deceased property. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I like Hell Hotel. If it doesn't exist, someone should write that. I think it's Death House. No, yes, you're correct. Uh, Barbara Crampton, uh, veteran of the horror genre industry, mm -hmm. and she is going to be in a new project that's being brought about by Fangoria Magazine. That's been resurrected. Yeah, they're I thought now, it went bankrupt. They did, but someone brought it back. Now they're going to be doing quarterly magazines. Um, subscriptions hmm. available now. Uh, they're also going to start producing some film content, and one of the things they're going to be making... How do you go from bankrupt to able to afford film? I bet you somebody bought the name uh, and just yeah. relaunched it. That makes sense. So yeah, Fangor is dipping their toes into the video production end of things, and they're going to be putting out a, f uh, a show or a series called Ghoul Gang Slumber Party, and it is a series that's described as a feminist ghost hunting reality comedy. Okay. So like the new Ghostbusters. I wonder, you know. Ghostbusters 2016. But what is a ghost hunting reality series? Like what is it? I wonder what that is. Is it like supposed to be real, Bros. like a mockumentary? Yeah, I think it's going to be like that. I think it's going to be like... That could be cool, like an office type thing. It's described as a comedy that encompasses the hilarity of childhood sleepovers with the likes of Queer Eye and Drunk History with Ghosts. Mm. What the fuck? You cannot mash that many things <laughs> together and be like, look, I made a meal. You're like, what did you do? Queer yeah. Eye and Drunk History. Yeah, that's a strange mashup. And slumber Party. No, no uh, indication where this is going to air. If this is going to be a VOD type thing, is going to be a YouTube series? A or, or if what? we get a bunch of people together, get them super fucking drunk, have them sleep at a crazy place, and have them record it, that could be cool. Maybe that's what this is. Maybe. If not, yeah, we should make that. Yeah. What would you call it? I would call it Ghoul Slumber <laughs> thing. I don't know. I have no idea. Called Death Hotel. <laughs> there you go. Uh, anyways, I was interested to see uh, more Barbara Crampton. 
yeah. content. She's so pretty awesome. I'm going to check it out. We'll see how it goes. I don't watch a lot of horror TV. How will you check it out? Because we don't know where it is or when it's airing. TBD. Okay. We'll find TBD, out. TBD, which means to be determined. I don't watch a lot of horror TV. Either. Good, not- Garrett. You know that one. I know that one. That one's been around <laughs> yeah. in print media. <laughs> no IRL, though. Okay. Today, we're doing Hereditary from 2018. This was directed by Ari Aster. Hereditary sitting at a 89% out of 283 critical reviews. Wow. 60% is what our audience review is. That's accurate. Um, I think I'm more along the time. I'm, I'm more in tune with the 89%. What? Myself. Get yes. out of here. Um, yeah, that doesn't actually say how many audience reviews With a are. lot of people who've watched this movie. With apparently a lot of people that have watched this film. Uh, this movie stars Tony Collette as Annie, who deserves every Oscar ever for her yeah, performance. Yeah, she nailed it out the what? park, man. Millie Shapiro as Charlie, Gabriel Byrne as Steve, Alex Wolfe as Peter, and Ann Dowd as Joan. Peter was the weakest actor of the bunch, I think. I think he did a very good job as looking perplexed, confused, and full of despair <laughs> for the majority of this film. He did look perplexed. I'll give him that. Here's what the box, the back of the DVD, has to say about this one. When Ellen, the matriarch of the Graham family, passes away, her daughter's family begins to unravel cryptic and increasingly terrifying secrets about their ancestry. The more they discover, the more they find themselves trying to outrun the sinister fate they seem to have inherited as it slowly destroys everything they know. Making his feature debut, writer-director Ari Oster unleashes a nightmare vision of a domestic breakdown that exhibits the craft and precision of a nascent auteur, transforming a familial tragedy into something ominous and deep, deeply disquieting and pushing the horror movie into chilling new terrain with its shattering portrait of heritage gone to hell. I think everything before the praise of the director was wrong. Everything after that was pretty good. All right. It's not, it seems a little heavy-handed there on that description. Oh, that, yeah. A nascent <laughs> auteur. a lot heavy-handed. It's like, who wrote this? Oh, you wrote your own? Okay, that makes love. For a first-time outing, he's basically the Jesus of horror. <laughs> yeah. Basically what that said. Have you heard Hitchcock? Yeah, this guy's like two Hitchcocks. <laughs> <laughs> Why not three? Three Hitchcocks. <laughs> All right, Garrett, you watched it for the first time last night. Me and John watched it at the theater. We have a video up of our initial reaction on YouTube. That's right. And, and on GraveTalkPodcast.com. I don't remember our URL. TheGraveTalk.com. TheGraveTalk.com. And we watched it again for the second time for this episode. Garrett? What is your opinion of the Hereditary movie? <sighs> That's a sigh of excitement. You can't wait to tell oh, us. Oh, let me tell you. This movie was A, way too overhyped. B, did not live up to the expectations that everyone had set for it. Critics and, you know, general responses. I don't know. I did not enjoy... I mean, there's, there are certain aspects of this movie that were very enjoyable. I would be interested to see what this guy could do with a studio film, but I don't know. I want to take the keys away from him. You know, like, tell him where and how to drive. Don't I think let he should be given go. more keys. Yes. Uh, I think he needs all the keys. Give him a fleet of keys. I will, give, I will grant you and agree with you that I think this movie did get overhyped when they were saying things like, it's the next Exorcist. Whenever like, I hear it's the next eh, I'm like, all right, oh yeah, I mean, dial it back. You got to stop on that. But I mean, it was excessively long, way too long. I think this movie was like two hours long. It should have been like an hour and 20 tight. 
I have no problem with the length. No. Oh God, really? Except for really? like the last three minutes. That's that's what I would cut. That's it. Other than that, because it does uh, to hearken forward uh, a good job of building a family dynamic. Wait, the last three minutes? Yeah. We'll Wait, get, that's on, the whole on. reveal. Yeah, that's the part that I think it's way... over. It's overly uh, uh, explained. Yeah, suddenly it becomes a fucking Wikipedia page. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. All right, so I want to touch a little more on this uh, dropping expectations on a film to be the next Exorcist. I think was a, uh, not a good idea. And I think that's why you see such a, a disconnect between the critic reviews and the audience score. I think a lot of people went in expecting Exorcist. But to Harkin, to the, the Exorcist is a, takes about an hour to get scary. That's true. I think there are parallels. Pacing is very similar. Correct. But I think when you say that, it's basically calling it the, you know, the next coming of Christ right. for the and horror. I think everyone's mind cuts to the famous parts of The Exorcist and not the more low-key parts that are easy to forget. Right. So the the first half of The Exorcist is you going through the family routine right. of Reagan and her mother. It's almost like a medical mystery. Like You see all these really disturbing... Anyway, yeah. not about and The I Exorcist. I enjoyed The Exorcist, but, but The Exorcist was way too long as well. I mean, I'll, I'll say it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's... Well, I mean, you're not alone, Garrett. There's, this movie seems to be very decisive. Um, it's kind of split. Either you like it you or you don't. You mean divisive? Did I say decisive? Yes. Yeah. Well, I it is decisive device. as well and how it, great it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you get your lips a little bit further up this movie's asshole, John? Seriously. <laughs> the further, the better. Go deep. Um, yeah, just to give you an idea, um, someone on social media, uh, we'll just call him Dick Rod. Um, he said... Uh, his handle's Dick Rod. Uh, his, wow. He said of this film, I've seen some bad movies in my time, but this one takes the cake on being the worst one I've probably seen in 10 years, and that says a lot. I got some movies it's he could watch. It's not that bad. Yeah, I don't think it's nearly as bad as that. Is this but the only movie he's seen in 10 it's years? It's not a bad movie. It's <laughs> Again, it's not a bad movie. I enjoyed visually what I saw. I thought there was some really interesting and well-done things in the movie. But again, the... The filler was just like no. It's so There's unsettling. No for it, it keeps you uneased. You say filler, and I don't know what part you're yeah. talking about. There's just so. I much don't think there's like, any filler. No, like you give us an example of filler. Oh, okay. You got me on the spot now. So, <laughs> so the whole part where she's you know um, doing the seance stuff didn't need that. That's absolutely needed. No, it's not. That's how they get into the pact with the demon. She doesn't right. know what she's saying, and she locks her family into being fucked. The whole thing where she's at the. Um, the grief counseling place. That's giving you backstory to how fucked up the family Admittedly, has been. There's exposition. other ways you could have done that. In I think the thing. it was perfect. It's an exposition Just, dump, fine, but it's at the same time, you're like, holy shit, starved themselves the to death? The slowest fucking pans across rooms in existence. This movie like is right. like 30% slow pans. It's keeping you off balance and unease. I almost said low pan from <laughs> Big Trouble, and I was like, it's 30% low pan, which <laughs> I would have loved in this movie. If you have an influence over your youthful friend, you better exert it now. Otherwise, I will have both of you roll off to the hell where people are skinned alive. It's that simple, understand? But it's it's designed to keep you off ease, paired with that soundtrack, which is like always. Ra- it uh, seems to be the raising sound work the in this is time. phenomenal. Yeah. The soundtrack had this thing where it was like, yeah, to keep. And you- the thing is, I thought it was my neighbors with their like stereo too loud in their car. I was like, dude, they gotta turn that down. And then I realized I pause it to go like see if they were outside, and I'm like. Hey, it stopped. It took me like three times of pausing the movie to be like, oh, that's this fucking movie's soundtrack. This no. weird little like... It works. It's there to the help you stay unsettled throughout yeah. a lot of these scenes. And like in it a did the- unsettle it annoyed. In a theater, like with all the, like the bass that comes, it was a really interesting experience. Into that bass, huh? 
Oh, yeah, I'm a base head through and through. But this movie specifically uses it very well. Again, it's not a bad movie. I'm not going to sit here and say this is a bad movie. You shouldn't watch it. I'm just going to say this is not a great movie because there's better ways they could have executed half of what they had to tell us. This movie also relies so heavily on, like, somebody fucking do something smart for once. Somebody do anything that is an actionable item that a normal human being would do in a situation like this. This movie is like all just kind of apathetic decision making. It's so fucking annoying. It drove me crazy. The mom's losing her shit. And we'll get into all what's going on, but like the mom's losing her shit. The son's losing her shit. This crazy lady who's gonna like teach her how to do seances doing but her stuff. Think- and it's like someone just step in and be like, hey, you know what we're not gonna do? Any of this. That one, the husband tried. Two, he didn't try back for shit. to back. No, he didn't catastrophes, try catastrophes, right? And so you see, yes. your, which everyone basically is kind of like, so that happened. No, it, no you no, see their not family the unravel. About the grandmother, yes, yeah. because nobody liked her. But Tony Collette won an Oscar for that fucking screaming yes. she did whenever she found out Charlie was dead. And you had wait, to, she really won an Oscar for this? I'm saying she should. Oh. Yeah, definitely. The way that she wails. And you just hear and you see Peter's face. This movie does something that I think is fantastic is it makes you live in the character's grief and inside the despair. The way that they just focus on Peter after some horrific moment that occurs is like cut away, fucking cut away, but it doesn't. It it makes you sit there with that moment. Bold choice to focus on Peter and not show Tony Clutch's character find the dead body. Like that I thought was super bold. And then it cuts to you know, the head covered in ants and it's like, fuck, that's a one-two punch. But the thing is, that happens and he just, I'm going to go to bed. No, he's in shock. He doesn't just go to bed. He is so out of it. He's out of his body. I know he's out of it. I know he's like, fuck, you know, but still at the same time, it's like, no. I think you're you're not accepting the traumatic impact that this would have on a kid like that. And he already had a precarious relationship with his mom because she tried to set him on fire. (laughs) Like, There's a point where she does an exposition dump where she talks about all the horrific things that have happened in her past, all the horrific things that have happened in her life. And she's like, sometimes I think I should kill myself. And I'm like, yes, you absolutely should. I was like, "There's your, your life, the law of averages at this point has proven that nothing is going to get better for you. End your miserable fucking existence. Let's be done with this and let the rest of your family go on being happy. But man... She is like a linchpin of like terrible fucking well crap. The movie hints that this is a plan set in motion. Every single piece of it. So I don't think And that's all executed really well. That <clears throat> they could have that she could have deviated from sort of what was outlined from for her by this was it Pem Peen Pin Payman Payman uh by this demon, right? That like everything was executed to such a degree. I mean, if there's any weakness, it's almost such a convoluted degree. Like, all right, Charlie has to eat this uh this very walnut heavy cake. Oh, Christ almighty. Um <laughs> so many nuts. And the way she was chopping, I was like, you don't cut nuts like that. Like, good lord, like what is it like eighty percent nuts, twenty percent cake? What it's are you a working nut loaf with? with icing. <laughs> all right. So the movie's title's hereditary, Garrett. You're saying that the mother should kill herself so we don't have to sit through this film. <laughs> I think that part of the uh, title is to lend ambiguity to what is the hereditary part of the film. Is it the craziness? Because there is the, the movie hints that the mother is insane. Now, the right. first time when I watched this film, I was trying to decide, is what, am I see- what, am I see- what I'm seeing actually happening? Yes. Or is it all in the mother's but head? I think by the end of the movie, they are very clear. Right, but I think there's still a discussion to be had, like, was any of that actually happening? What? Really? Yes, I think there's nuance enough that I've talked to other people that said the same thing. Wait, like, I don't know if events? any of that actually happened. 
Right. Was that all just a... Oh, a no, that all reaction? happened. That all straight up happened. Are we, are we talking so like a Jacob Ladder? Your, uh, yes. That's <laughs> what me, both of your opinions are, but I've spoken to other people outside of the podcast that say they're, they're unsure if what we saw actually happened or if it was all insanity. When would it have switched? Yeah. What, what's, the, what's the change point? Because the, the husband hints throughout the film is like the mother's gone to therapy. Right. She's seeing things. She's almost burned her children alive in the past. Right. A lot of it is... Uh, okay, so one of the f- things the film also does is there's this flash of light that will travel across the screen. Right. Right. That can be either seen as spiritual energy, or it could also be seen as a flash to what's actually happening. Because the moment the flash goes over the mother's face at one point, she's maniacal and then straight-faced. Yeah, that's Charlie. It happens after Charlie dies. Because Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove your theory wrong. And I don't know if you guys want to wait until we get to the end of this movie to do it, but I can tell you exactly what that is. I know exactly what it is. It's Charlie and inhabiting the body. It's Payman. Well, right. Payman, who was originally supposed to be in Charlie's body, but that's the wrong body because he prefers a male. Right. Because now, the lady at the end is like, we took care of your first female form, and now you have the male form the that you The point that I'm trying to make is that when the first time you see it, you mention that it is kind of convoluted. It is. I think it lends itself for you to wonder, is this happening or is it not? Now, on the second viewing, I don't think it's anything to do with insanity. I think it actually all happened. Because think about, like, what about the scenes near the end where the mom is essentially possessed, doing some crazy, awesome, like, shit, where she's, like, banging her head I'll on the I'll tell you exactly why you could see it one the... way, because insanity can be hereditary this could be peter's insanity at that point do you understand like the the title itself can lend you to question is this insanity hereditary that i'm witnessing or is it actually satanic i think the the lineage of like the overall plan was the hereditary part of it like that's i know that's not hereditary technically means but i feel like it's, it's it's ingrained into their bloodline of this is who we are this is what we're here for so I think that's the hereditary part of it. Right. And again, again like this movie is second... cool in the fact that it's like it's got some deep aspects. I just found it to be exceptionally boring at times. And I was like, wow, I wish this was tighter. I wish it was an hour and 30 minutes, honestly. I don't. We all know Mark watches movies in, in pieces. Sometimes, often, I watch movies while I'm doing some other shit. This movie, like, I, it's hard for me to, I guess, understand how it's boring because this is one of the few movies that I kept losing track of, like, the other shit I was doing and getting pulled back into the movie to the point where I just ended up stopping and only watching the movie. I found it to be so engrossing in uh, pretty much every minute of it. Everyone I watched the movie with fell asleep towards the end of this movie. I was the only one in my, like, living room still awake watching this movie because I was like, I got to watch it for the podcast. And again, the ending was like a total payoff. Again, I'm not I'm not bashing the movie. I just feel like it should have been tighter. I feel like it was it, it was just so like I was like, "Oh my god, just fucking get on with it. I get it. Someone make a decent fucking decision." I know in horror movies we're supposed to like, you know, let go of like bad decision making. I guess but there I is a know. wealth of bad decision. I know, I can't think of I don't one know what bad, bad decision. decisions you're talking about. The son, when he fucking doesn't tell anybody about I already the shit. told you that. He's B, traumatized. When the he mom's doesn't, like, okay. take your fucking daughter to the fucking high school party. Stop for a moment. No. I want to touch on Peter again, because you keep coming back to this moment where he doesn't say anything. The minute that he says something to somebody, reality sets in, and now he has to deal with the fucking right. traumatic event. The, he's he's forlonging the... No, I get it. I know the concept. Yeah, the he's just in shock. I would be yeah. surprised if he even could talk. So if you walked in and your wife was dead and... 
your bedroom because you accidentally dropped a collected Zelda works on her head or something like that. You would basically be like, fuck it, I'm going to go play a little Resident Evil 7 real quick. That's he not doesn't, what he does. doesn't do that at all. He crawls into he bed. He doesn't do that at all. He is stuck in that moment. Right. And he doesn't want it Plus, to go I'm not forward. 16. I don't know what I would do when I was 16. If, a, if a, something like that happened, I don't know. I mean, it's like, that's a complete mental break. Yeah, he's living in that shock and he's not moving forward. And it's that's not, fine. You guys are willing to excuse that behavior. That's fine. And there's I not. Not. I don't I think there's not. anything to excuse. It's not terribly unusual for a older sibling to be forced to bring their younger sibling somewhere. Especially to be- a party? No, he sells it as a school barbecue. Yeah, but that's still like... He would, lied to his mother. Right. I've never, I've never had my mom be like, hey, take your... Also, she was 13. Also, she's in, you know... Uh, right, the same school. That right. is one of the questions. Wait, was, was that kid 13? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that kid did not... The kid looked like... A weird like she could have played, <laughs> she could have played seven to seventy. Whenever, <laughs> uh, whenever Anne is Annie's talking to Joan, she said my daughter was thirteen. Yeah, wow. So they go to the same school. They, so much. The mom thinks this is like some school event. It's obvious that she's like socially sort of withdrawn. So she's like, look, you're just gonna go and see kids your own age, and you know that. I think that's a perfectly rational parent thing to do. She might also be pushing her to get over maybe the the loss of her grandmother. Because right, right before that, she says, "Oh, I want grandma." So she, I think she's just trying to get her out of the house get her in a like more kid environment. Okay, look, you guys are balls to the wall convinced that everyone's decision making in this movie is on par and exactly where it should be. So I'm going to done I'm done discussing it with you. But no, so many people make terrible fucking decisions in this movie and that's you're not going to change my mind on that. That's fine. Especially the dad. The dad alone fucking Joan, all those people. Like, I ugh. think the dad is just trying to deal, like John said, two traumatic events happen within a week of each right. other, I've and never, he's just trying to keep the family unit together and trying to move past it. I've never so passively like dealt with tragedy in my life and just been like, well, if I don't think about it, it's not going to be real. Or yeah, like, oh, I guess coping I, mechanisms. I know, but Jesus, it's so fucking annoying. Like, that's some major shit. We're not talking about like, oh, you left the door unlocked. Right. You know, but, this is like... You left your fucking dead sibling in the car? Cool. There's going to be consequences for that. No, everyone's just like, we can get past this. It was an accident. And you're just like, no. Well, that's what you have to do as parents. You can't be like, you fucking terrible piece of shit kid. Like, you're the worst thing that ever they happened. They only have one left. Yeah. Like, as parents, you know, they might feel a certain way, but I think you're sort of responsible for trying to just get your kid going on, like, through the rest of their life. You know, like, all right, it was an accident. It's fucking terrible. And especially with the dad who saw his wife is like just in utter collapse, right? So if he also collapses, then this family unit's just gonna, you know, he's trying dissolve. to be the pillar but to bring everybody needs to be back in therapy. up. That kid needs to be in heavy therapy. The mom needs to be in heavy therapy, possibly even committed. Okay, she's making miniatures of like the accident. Right, she's and making he writes miniatures an email. of like fucked up shit. But oh, that, he writes that's, an email. That's her living. She makes a right. living making miniatures for art and sleep. And he yeah, calls but, her out on her bullshit. He's like, well, you're not going to let him see this, right? Think about how Peter will feel. He calls her out on it being As weird. opposed to being like, you need to destroy that shit and never make a goddamn thing like that again in this house because you understand how fucking crazy that is. You people need to stop grieve you're differently. Gone. He's, he, I think uh, he wants to allow her to grieve, but also acknowledge, yo, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, do not let our son see this because yeah. he's already damaged as it is. I can't do it. I, I can't excuse this family. <laughs> I'm sorry, I think let's, this get, is, let's get back We are on it. opposite ends of the goal <laughs> yeah, here. We, we like, are, Garrett, we are. come on over. And you're like, fuck that and fuck <laughs> Peter and fuck you. The movie is good for what it is, but there's just so much about it that I could not deal with. And I think you grieve differently than the people in this movie. And I think it's just, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know per se, like if you've dealt with any tragedy. I haven't dealt with anything on this level. So I cannot say that I would act 
you know, any differently yeah. in a state of emotional distress and grief. I've also never decapitated anybody, so I don't know <laughs> yeah. how I would react. So I don't know, man. Like, if, I, if there was John, a can we get that in writing? I've never, I've never decapitated anyone. <laughs> so that's right. fine. Let's get on with the story because I feel like that's the strong point, not the characters. So the movie opens up with an obituary. We find out that with the uh, tiniest font text, it's ever. pretty small. Yeah, I agree with that. We find out that the uh, grandmother of this family unit has passed away. At that point, we start getting some eerie music. We get some bass clarinets. It's just very ominous music as it pans into a dollhouse. That's the introduction to the what, like we were saying, the mother makes miniatures as art installation, which we don't know at this point. We just basically start right. panning slowly into a room on a miniature house. I legit thought those miniatures would have more to do with this movie. Like when I was watching the trailers and stuff, I thought like, oh, is it? Are they going to do some weird freaky miniature shit? No. I think it literally is just a way for this woman to grieve or deal with a lot of tragedy that right, she's it's done her in her life, and she know. turned it into art. Yeah, and that's right. what that's what we're dealing. They with. pan into that room, and then a character, like a human being, walks into the room. Like it's it a becomes shot. the set piece. It's a great shot, but for the like, I had turned around to everybody. I was like, "Are these miniature people?" Yes, like I, I thought, thought they were tiny people at first. I was like, oh, "There's a whole little subset of tiny people that live in these miniatures. This is going to be crazy." I'm into this, thing. and it was not that. It was just using it as like an artistic method to to cut between scenes. Yeah, uh, it's just kind of give you an idea of what we're going to be looking at. And I think that that does actually set the pace for the next hour. Yeah. The slow pans, and the, and I think that might be kind of what Garrett's having trouble it with. It sets the pace of slow pans for the next hour. Thank you, Mark, for proving my point. But it builds, <laughs> I, right? Yeah. There's a series of it events build, that, yes. that sort of, you know, inexorably move forward that are fucking shit up, right? And I forgot, I mean, Charlie, Charlie dies really early into the movie. I mean, it's only like 30 minutes in. Right. Yeah. So the family's getting ready for the eulogy. We're introduced to all the characters. Uh, Peter is your typical teen. Uh, he likes smoking pot. He's worried about parties. Uh, at some point, he gets a text message in the movie that says, party tomorrow, bring your dick. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, Charlie is, is a very strange child. She has a, uh, a tree house that she spends most of her time in, it seems like. Yeah. Um, With heaters in it, like plug-in electrical heaters. I was like, that's not safe. No, you don't ever want to put a uh, what is open, it, space heater? an open space yeah. here inside a wooden cabin in a fucking tree. And uh, apparently she sleeps out there a whole bunch. The dad makes a comment. is like, you're going to catch pneumonia out here. And she's like, that's fine. Yeah, she does not <laughs> care about pneumonia. She's always tinkering with stuff. And then she has this strange clicking thing that she does with her tongue throughout the entire film. I did watch this movie with the closed captions on. So I did appreciate throughout the film seeing things like... It was like indistinct clicking sound. Tongue clicks in the distance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The family goes to the the grandmother's funeral. The mother is up giving a very unenergetic eulogy. Yeah. She's like, I'm surprised to see so many people here. (laughs) Which actually plays into a lot of what's happening. And this is one of the things on the rewatch that I got a lot out of. She's like, I see so many strange faces here. It's like my mother, you know, was friends with people. You know, if I were better at being a podcaster, I would have paused it the scene i wonder if joan is in that scene somewhere she was she was there and so was the guy who smiles at the so yeah so yeah. she's given that she's given the eulogy and i don't know about joan i didn't see that i myself. thought i saw joan sitting yeah, she in the might back. be um so basically she's giving the eulogy like my mom was a super secret person there's so much i didn't know about her i feel like a fraud just talking about this right now and then charlie the little girl goes over to the open casket to um, view the body. View the body. Sees that she's got this really random designed necklace on, 
and then looks over and there's this tall white dude with blonde hair smiling super creepy at Charlie, like with this weird, like he's almost like the perfect Aryan haircut, you know, very Germanic comb back. Yeah, he's like giving us look like like aha, which also is a there. This movie is so great with giving you little visual hints of like that. It just told you so much and you have no idea until you get to the end of the movie. Right. When that dude smiles at Charlie, and I think we're just going to have to ruin some of what the ending, because we already talked about it a little bit, is like when that dude smiles at Charlie, it's because he knows Charlie's supposed to be the host body for Paymon. Right. Like he's, like, he's like, ah, you're the one, smiles at her like big and creepy, and then it cuts away, and you're like, what the fuck was that all about? They go home after the funeral, and, and um, Tony Collette's character is like, am I supposed to be sadder? And I was like, wow, okay. That really is a distant relationship. And then like, you know, it's just sort of, their at homeness, right? So she starts going through boxes and then she like creeps herself out. Well, she thinks she creeps herself out. Yeah, she's going through her mother's belongings, yeah. um, kind of looking around. And then she looks to the side and you can see the grandmother in the shadows. Right. She f- And it's at this moment that one of those low reverberating sounds start. And yep. I actually listened to see how long it went on for. Ooh. It went, That low reverberating noise went on through several scenes and it ended with when the mother goes back into the grandmother's room and goes, did you go into my mom's room? Oh, and so then she it, makes it, her husband lock it. It, it. That sound ties the Tony Collette thinking she sees her mother until she revisits the room, and it, yeah. and it passes through several other scenes. I, I really think the sound work in this movie yes. is fantastic. It's pretty. No, it's it's super well done. Like when they do the uh, the seance scene at the like the middle of the movie, mm-hmm. when they're actually calling Charlie, and the son's all like, "Do you guys just hear the? Did you guys just feel the air flex?" And we'll get more to that. That noise is going on until he says that, and then it stops right when he yeah. says that. It's like. Nice. The, the, the sound design in this movie, the sound, the visual work, the DP, the director of photography, everything about this movie is fucking top level, which was why it was so annoying that I was annoyed by these little aspects of this movie that I was like, fuck, I could really enjoy this flick if it was 20, 30 minutes shorter. Mm. So at this point, we're kind of recognizing that, okay, it doesn't seem like anybody really has any ties to the grandmother right. um, they just emotionally. Go life. Other than the mother starts to give information that Charlie, the daughter, was Grandma's favorite. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She wanted me to be a boy. You know, I was a tomboy when I was growing up. I hated dresses and dolls and pink. Who's going to take care of me? (laughs) Um... Excuse me, you don't think I'm going to take care of you? But when you die. But then she reveals that the the grandmother breastfed Charlie. Yeah, that was weird. So a lot of disturbing choices that were made around the birth of Charlie. So much so that the mother turns a miniature around for the audience to see. And it's a, it's a miniature of grandmother holding her tit out, <laughs> walking towards Charlie as a baby. I was like, oh, okay. They really meant breastfed. Yeah, because before you see the miniature, she just says, oh, she wouldn't let me feed you. She had to feed you, which you could think is like a bottle, but they, they drive it home. This is some breastfeeding. Yeah, could have been a bottle of formula. Yeah. No, no, straight from grandmother's titty. So the reason they're doing all this is because Charlie is possessed by a demon who actually wants a male Well, he's form, not possessed. He's, he's supposed to, she's, Charlie's he's, supposed to be the host body, but right. then you find out that Paymon, the demon, prefers a male body right. because the mom cut off all ties with the grandmother. Well, it's confusing, though, because they call the demon Charlie. It says, we got rid of your first shitty form. I think Charlie is the demon. Yeah, I, I think don't think she was a host. might not be the right word. Because yeah. later on, Peter starts clicking like Charlie. Yeah. 
I think yeah. Charlie is the human manifestation of the demon king Payman. I agree. That's how I took it. Because they call her Charlie. They say, we got rid of your first form. Sorry that it was a girl. She says, Grandma wanted me to be a boy. Right. Yeah. And Grandma made an embroidered thing that says Charles on it. <laughs> but as hinted, there's a, a deep satanic, well, demon occult. It's a deep occult plan yeah. for this family to become the sacrificial uh, vessels to bring about Payman's rebirth into our world. Right. Um, Grandma was called Queen Leia or Lay, you see a you see a poster yeah, of her at the end. I can't remember. It's a queen a something. Yeah, it's a multi level story, man. Yeah, it's, there's there's it's like an onion. There's a fuck ton of thought put into this movie, which is like impressive. There's a lot of words like scratched on the walls of the house. Yeah. One of them is satiny. That is um, a word that deals with necromancy. There's other like Hebrew words scratched around hmm, the house. I didn't know that. Um, all kinds of stuff in play here. There's a lot of little subtle moments that I think do warrant a second viewing so you can come back yeah. and catch all that Almost stuff. a third, I feel well, like. Well, I mentioned like I was yeah. watching with a bunch of people and um, like there were times when people would be like, did you see that on the wall? Something scratched in there. And we're like, what? And we have to pause it and like, yeah. holy shit, there is words scratched on the wall. It's so subtle. And it was interesting because like all of us were picking up different hidden things. We're like, did y'all see that figure standing back there? And they're like, what, really? And it was like, I think the for is, the first time, so though, crazy. that might have, I think, taken away some of your enjoyment of the movie. It's cool, I think, like on a second and third, but right, if you think through the first time, you never really got to be absorbed in the story if you're pausing and talking. And, and maybe that's sort of a, a disconnect. It was, only a, you know? it was only a moment. And honestly, I don't think so, because that's the stuff that brought me into the story when I was like, oh, what the fuck? Mm. Oh, that's a thing. Oh, holy crap. That that's the stuff I was into. Yeah. And then the characters would be characters and I'd be like, "Oh, and now you fucking ruined it for me." Mm. Cuz it was okay. this deep deep story that was going on and then like the characters' portrayals and the decisions they were making and stuff like that, regardless whether you think they were right or not, like clearly was what just ruined it for me because I, I don't think, I don't think there's a right or wrong. It's just a oh, choice. Oh, there's right and wrong. Yeah, I th- I don't know that I agree that they made the right decisions. I think they made reasonable decisions considering their mindset and the the sequence of events that lead up to again. Them I don't want to get into this again. We're not going to get back into this. I'm just saying like that. I had a problem with the other stuff. The the pausing, looking for little details. That actually increased my viewing experience because I was noticing that like little symbol, the grandma's necklace on things, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is a huge plot to do something." Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what until the end, and we'll get mm-hmm. to it. But yeah, it's like you said, Mark. It was to bring the the demon god payment back. So the, after the grandmother's passing, the mother is struggling to deal with it, and she starts to um, go out and seek therapy, group therapy. Um, she tells her husband that she's going to a movie. Uh, is a front. She doesn't want her husband to know that she's going to therapy. Right. As you find out later in the film through subtle hints via email, things of that nature, that the mothers had to do this kind of therapy before to give over some traumatic to- events. It was right before that she says she's going to the movie, they get a phone call. Steve answers the phone and he finds out that the grandmother's grave has been desecrated. And he doesn't want to reveal this information to the mother because she's already kind of in an emotional state. She's delicate. Uh, you know, mentally. Back what? to bad decision-making. This whole family just lies to each other when honesty would have resolved so much of it. But I think that I think I, I know the reasons Steve's were right. Reason. The reasons were right, but it's like, just be honest. Be like, yo. Because if that comes out later on, you got a much bigger, crazy wife on your hand. <laughs> well, she definitely gets crazier throughout the film. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to kind of go over just the... She goes to therapy. She sits down. This is where she meets Joan. Joan is one of the members of the occult group that's trying to be payment back in she's like a plant 
to kind of guide Annie throughout this to get them to where the uh, they can bring talk the to Joan. Team. Not at this point, no. no okay. But I'm just saying this is where yeah. that character is introduced. They sit down and say, we've got a new member. Any new members here want to share? And then they all just kind of stare at Annie. And she's like, okay, I guess I'll tell you what's Which up. feels very uncomfortable for a therapist. They're like, you know, you don't have to, but we're just going to look at you until you do. Right. <laughs> so this is, this is Annie's backstory. I got it all down here. It's so crazy. Grandma was estranged from the family. She had dissociative identity disorder, or what used to be called multiple personalities, she has dementia, and then Annie brought her back in because she felt bad. She wanted to include her in the family a little bit. Her grand, her father passed away when she was a baby due to psychotic depression starvation. Which was just as pleasant as it sounds. <laughs> yeah. Annie's brother had schizophrenia, and at 16, he hung himself inside the grandmother's bedroom. The suicide note said grandma had tried to put people inside him. Which, knowing what we know, probably true. Yeah. And then grandma was not allowed to go near Peter when Peter was born, Annie felt bad about it, and that's when she brought the grandmother back in around Charlie's birth to kind of repair that relationship, but obviously that didn't go very well. And then she lived in our house at the end before hospice. We weren't even talking before that. I mean, we were, and then we weren't, and then we were. She's completely manipulative until my husband finally enforced a no-contact rule, which lasted until I got pregnant with my daughter. I didn't let her anywhere near me when I had my first, my son, which is why I gave her my daughter, who she immediately stabbed her hooks into. And I just, I felt guilty again, I felt guilty again. When she got sick, not that she was really even my mom at the end, and not that she would ever feel guilty about anything. I just don't want to put any more stress on my family. So that is a really traumatic family history. There's tons and tons of psychotic and mental issues at play here. That's why I say, like, I thought the first time I saw it that I thought Hereditary might be dealing with psychosis or mental breakdowns and things of that nature. This is where I guess your point is so ambiguous. All of those things could also be justified by uh, the grandma trying to bring Cayman back and create and and, and destroying these men in the process. But when we watched this film in the theater, I wasn't pausing and rewinding and looking for clues. It left me to continue to wonder, okay, is this a mental breakdown or is this in fact happening? And on the second viewing, I made my decision. It was in fact a satanic cult, a deep, deep plan that was in in the works here. There you have it. It's been decided. (laughs) (laughs) So it is decreed. (laughs) All right, so the mother goes back home. That's when we get the scene of, of uh, Peter's being invited to a party, and he's trying not to reveal the fact, oh, I'm going to go to a party, get drunk. Because remember, he's supposed to bring his dick, right? as the text instructs. Definitely important. And the mother's like, take your One sister. could argue impossible to go to a party without it. Yeah. It's well, we don't go to his, anywhere without your dick. It's attached. We don't know his dick situation, guys. He <laughs> could have had an accident. A, very presumptuous <laughs> yeah. of me to assume. Um, and to Garrett's point, the mom is a little schizophrenic in this uh, in her decision making here because she does go, "Are you going to drink?" And he's like, "We're not even old enough to get booze." And she's like, "Don't bullshit a bullshitter, bro. Are you going to drink?" But then she's like, "You should go. Go get your sister." They load up into the car. What are you doing? Nothing. Oh yeah, yeah. Where are you going to go? Nowhere. It's a party. You going to a party? This is the exact dialogue that 13-year-olds have with their parents. Yeah. No lie. But the parents That is very true to life. The parents don't respond with like, uh-huh, what about this? Uh-huh, what about this? Maybe they do. Oh, man. Maybe they do. I don't the whole know. time, like, mom, just fucking be direct and ask him. Like, she's just... I get it. She's she, been through a lot of shit. It's just so hard to, like... 
Like she should not have been a parent. That's what I'm saying. Like someone should have and stepped in. And she been reveals like, that she didn't want to be right. Yes, I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like every point, every piece of evidence points that this family should not be where it is, and it's like, how come no one stepped in to address this situation? Well, I mean, what are they going to say? You know what? You're right. We should break this family up. Yes. Kids, you're going to a, fa- yes. to a foster care. Everybody, go a different direction, <laughs> and we'll just Someone's wander into the take sunset. Control this fucking shit show, and no one is. So they go to the party. Charlie is now in tow with Peter. Peter's smoking weed in a room. And then I wanted to ask you, we've already touched on the, the nut scene. The person who decided to cut an entire farmhouse worth <laughs> of nuts on a table is a fucking lunatic. Dude. It was literally, it looked like it had to have been 400 nuts <laughs> yeah. that they were chopping with the largest knife they could find at a very rapid rate. Do you think that was planted by the satanic cult? I mean. Because uh, we forgot to mention early on, whenever uh, they're viewing the body, Charlie's eating chocolate and they're like, do you have nuts in that? Charlie has a severe nut Wait, allergy. They are so happy. Oh, did they say that previously? Yeah. yeah. Okay, see, I didn't catch that line, so I was like watching them chop the nuts, and she's like, they got cake, and the, the brother's like, well, go get some cake, and she's like, I don't want to. You know, like being real timid, like a little girl would be at a high school party, mm-hmm. and he's like, get the fuck over there and get some cake, and then he walks away, and I was like, Yo, what if that chick's got nut allergies? Because they're chopping like way too many walnuts yeah. in this area. And then sure enough, later on, we find out she's got a nut allergy, which yeah. evidently yeah. was revealed before, but I missed. Right, yeah. it was in the funeral scene. They Because oh, they're okay. so haphazard with their EpiPen. They're like, yeah, we don't have an Epi shot. That's a great it's question like, then, because it was brought up with those people who were part of the cult at the funeral. I believe that Did that was someone, uh, on purpose. I think, I mean, it has to be. No one cooks with that many nuts. Yeah. And, like, they're, Nobody. They're, I, they're I the cook odds. stuff. I make stuff with nuts in it. You don't. You use about a fourth a cup of nuts, <laughs> not 800 nuts total. Use, like, they, Shell and all. This was a multi... <laughs> and all. This was a multi-bag situation. They were pulling in a truck of nuts. Like, Yeah, it's just lunacy. So I really think that was a satanic cult. Now, we don't know sure. if they were planning on making 17 cakes, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Maybe they did make a fleet of cakes <laughs> that we just didn't see off screen. So while they're on the way to the party, we need to mention that the symbol of the grandmother's necklace is on. It's imprinted outside on a telephone pole, right? Mm-hmm. Which is more evidence that this is all playing out according to the Satan. Yeah. I keep saying satanic, but they're not bringing Satan in; they're bringing in payment. I still think what there is the satanic. Is it the Patanic cult? No, I still think it's <laughs> satanic though, because payment is a lord of hell who I believe serves under Lucifer. He's he's one of the eight kings of hell. Yeah, who who serve under Lucifer? Yeah, that's correct. So I think it's still satanic. Yeah, we can we can say satanic or we can say cult, but I I do think it's all it's all been laid out. Well, if you right. notice, that symbol comes back directly. Well, let's get to that point. Okay, Peter's off smoking pot in a room, and they're like, "Hey, is that your creepy sister outside? She drew me one time, and I look retarded." She says something along the lines. Yeah, like, yeah, one of exactly the girls at the says. party, and it's like, "Oh, damn." She's like, "Yeah, that's Charlie." <laughs> yeah, and then Charlie wanders in where while mid bong rip. Uh, Peter looks over and sees his sister walk in and she's like, can't breathe. Peter realizes that, oh no. And he puts it together nuts. pretty quick. They rush out of there and Peter's doing 100 miles an hour down the freeway trying to get Charlie to a hospital. Right. Why would they not have an EpiPen? You should always have an EpiPen. Right. If, oh, it's almost like these parents weren't designed or basically prepared to be proper parents due to bad decision to making. Me, that's this, one of the this most. This is one of the I only my hands up. I know you guys can't see it, but I feel very justified no. right he, now. Garrett's vindicated in this moment. Um, this is the only poor decision I can yes. really call out that's like a horror plot decision. <laughs> parents with severe allergies keep EpiPens in their car. They keep them on them. Like you have one around. Not I have to drive no, that's 35 true. minutes that's to get an EpiPen. True. Yeah, uh, if, if if an allergy is severe to cause death, then it should be on your person at all times, like a cell phone and a pair of keys. Right. 
So they're driving 100 miles an hour. The kid can't breathe. Charlie can't breathe. She rolls down the window, puts her head outside the window to try to get some air. Right. Actually, a really good decision. I don't know that not I would a, be smart enough to Not a great decision, but not a, I'm going to ask you, John, have you ever stuck your head out of a moving car? It's actually harder to breathe out there. I think they're just trying to push. If you keep your mouth open, you, she's just hoping that in. air will enter into her lungs. Like, and a, sleep, some, like a sleep apnea mask? Yeah. Like it's just going to get pushed in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and at that moment, while Charlie's head is going out the window, there's a dead deer right next to that telephone pole that right had the symbol on it. next to the it. telephone pole, which means that deer was planted. Absolutely. I so agree. Peter swerves out of the way. And then Charlie's head connects with the pole in such a thud, man. It was yeah. cringe-inducing. And then this is one of the moments where he Peter just stops the car and the camera does not let you look away from Char- uh, Peter's face. Yeah. And this is one of the moments that I'm talking about, that the movie makes the viewer just sit in the uncomfortableness of a traumatic event. I believe does. you see him break. You see his mind not be able to process it and just snap. Well, like, yeah, because he starts to look back and then he stops himself. Yeah. Like, if I don't look at it, it's not real. Right. And that's what I think the movie was trying to convey here is that his character is deciding not to deal with the situation. And they did convey that really well. I personally have a problem with it, but that's just, again, it's me having a problem sure. with it. It's not the movie. They yeah. do a great job of basically being like, cool, if it, if I don't look at it, it didn't happen, I can't deal with the reality of the situation. Now, when that head hits that pole, though, it does not look like it comes off initially. But then later on, we find out that she was full-on decapitated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Peter slowly puts his foot back on the gas, and the car slowly goes home. He slowly walks into his bedroom and just lays there, and the camera stays on his face. You can tell by the light behind him that it's now morning. Right. He never sleeps. He, he just... doesn't go to sleep. The mother wakes up, and you can see in Peter's face, he's acknowledging that the shit is about to hit the fan. He knows it's coming. And the mom's like, I'm going to go to the store real quick. You and hear the door open. The mother gets into the car and then just starts screaming. Such a great and scene. And it's such a guttural, painful scream. That's why I think Tony Collette deserves yeah. an Oscar because how many movies have we seen where a, a, a character is supposed to be conveying disdain and heartbreak and it's comical? Right. Right. Not this is time. not comical. I felt every moment of that mother's pain in that moment. And then moment. it like cuts right to Charlie's head with ants all over it. It's the top of her head laying next to the side of the road. Now, yeah, I'm not a pretty decapitation expert, but I don't think her face would look exactly like that. I maybe the impact of the pole. Like if maybe you know, if she hit it on the side, maybe it would have been damaged oh, you on think the side. It, it, like great because yeah. if her face smacked that pole going hundred miles an hour, she would be unrecognizable. It would probably have been like in, in blood be, splatter. Yeah, it would it would have exploded her skull. Oh, it was clearly a, a visual sure. choice to right, yes. like, hey, look what happened. Yeah, I was I think it maybe hit it from the it side d- or something like that. It did not occur to me until like not even during the second watching. And honestly, that but, was that that scene, that head there was very important. And I pieced that together about halfway through, and we'll get to that as we get there. But yeah, her her head coming off. Yeah, was and very... then it like fade. It transitions to Tony Collette in the bedroom, just screaming, and it's just so good, man. She's just like, I want to die. Yeah, I can't go on. And I again, want to die. This is after she said all those terrible things at like group therapy, and I was like, for the second time as I was watching, it was like. Then kill yourself. It's never going to get better. Look at what is happening. But she still you has a have son. to end this. I know, but she didn't. She says later on she never wanted the son. I feel like, again, 
I, I'm not advocating suicide here. I don't want people to kill themselves. Sounds like y'all are. I'll tell you what. But just I'm saying, off for, yourself. If your for life this, is shit, just for this character, it was just like, wow. No, it's you're right. If you want to end it, I will support this act because nothing is going to get better for you. It but she doesn't so, know that. Right. Oh, we she, all know that. She, I mean, we're watching a horror movie. Right. But she doesn't know. And she's got her husband that, you know, is trying to to sustain her. And she has a son that she's got to take care of. Which she like, isn't, arguably isn't taking care of, though, and is completely distant and doesn't want in the first right, place. At the moment. I mean, yeah, she didn't want the son. But she does say, I tried to love you. And, and I think that she still. I tried to, she says some things to that kid where I'm just like, you need to have your children taken but it's away. Just a dream. And you never. Why are you scared of me? I never wanted to be your mother. Why? I was scared. I didn't feel like a mother. But she pressured me. Then why did you have me? It wasn't my fault. I tried to stop it. How? I tried to have a miscarriage. You tried to kill me. I love you. Why did you try to kill me? I did she doesn't tell it to him in real life. Is it though? Because I thought that was because he wakes up and he's like, "What are you doing? Why are you?" And then he's like, "Why are you scared of me?" So if he had heard all that, I don't think he would have started with. What okay, are you so doing? that was that was in her head. Okay. After Charlie's death, the family unit is completely destroyed at this yeah. point, and it's the husband is left trying to bring back some sense of normalcy. And that's why I felt super bad for Steve yeah. going forward. I was like, dude, this guy's trying so hard to just move past these traumatic events. Yeah. And it's and he clear can't break, that he can't. Right? Yeah, he right. has to like shoulder this burden because if he breaks too, then the whole thing is over. It's, it's just done and, and gone. So now the mother is, is not really talking to Peter much anymore. There, there's good scenes of them avoiding each other. Yeah. Like Tony Collette, Annie is sitting in the car. She sees Peter come home and Peter's just staring at the house. And you know, like every ounce of his being is like, I don't want to go inside. Fuck this. I don't want to go inside. And then he reluctantly has to go in. And then Annie speeds off and goes away. And she's actually going back to that group therapy. And she gets to the group therapy, looks at it, and she's like, fuck this noise. Turns around to leave. And that's when Joan shows up and goes to her car. and is like, oh, hey, I'm sorry. I don't mean to startle you. But, you know, I saw you here last time a couple months ago. My name's Joan, and that's when they kind of have the meet cute. Yeah. But she's like, these cat classes really help me. You should come, keep coming. She gives her a phone I feel number. Less like, alone, yeah. If you need someone to talk to outside of this group situation, you can call me. I'm going to be happy to help you. And she does. She full on is like, hey, what's up? She visits Joan's house, and they kind of get to, get a rapport going again. Annie is completely unaware that Joan is a plant by yeah. the satanic cult. She does see an embroidered floor mat or, or a like door the first mat. clue. She's like, my mom used to make things like these. And you, you realize that she has two of the same exact ones in her possessions yeah. back at the house. Um, and, which, and then Joan's like, oh, really? That's weird. Yeah, which to me is like, bro, you, Joan, you fucked up. That was close call, man. Yeah, that was a close <laughs> fucking call. You almost blew your cover. You uh, blew it! <laughs> Payman would not have been happy that a doormat fucked his plan up. Yeah. So I, I think we can kind of jump ahead a little bit at this point. We've right. kind of touched on the family dynamic falling apart. Uh, I do want to mention that it is revealed that uh, Annie, Tony Collette's character, has bouts of sleepwalking. 
we mentioned earlier that she tried to burn her children alive. She wakes up out of some sort of fugue or sleepwalking. Peter, she tries state. to burn Peter alive. Oh, what did I say? No, it's both of them. She oh, does was have, it both of them? She okay, has both of them and herself covered in paint. I paint thought it was thinner. just Peter. No, it's no, it's both. all three of them. And then she had the the match lit, and that's what she, I, she's revealing the story to Annie at, at one of their meetups. And she's like, I immediately put out the match as soon as I realized what was happening. Yeah. And she's like, basically at that point, I've never been in Peter's good graces. He's been. At odds with me ever oh, since. She plays the victim like he's just never trusted me since then. I'm like, for good fucking reason, you crazy psycho. You tried to burn your children. It's like you cannot just be like, and she the whole conversation, she's just like, I mean, what do I gotta do to earn your trust back? What do I gotta do? Like, what did I ever do to them? And it's like, you literally tried to burn them to death. I assume that's probably when she went to therapy. Probably the first time, yeah. Probably, yeah. So fast forward a bit, you know, it's more family stuff. and uh, She's building and, rapport with Joan. Yeah, yeah. And then Tony Collette's character um, sees Joan at the store, and Joan's like manic. She's like, oh my God, I have to show you this most amazing thing. And Annie um, is like, what's going on? She's like, you won't believe me. And he's like, yeah, yeah, just tell me. And, and Joan's like, I went to this seance. It was filled with skeptics, and they did all this crazy shit, and he showed me how to get in touch with my son. In fact, I have to show you right now. Come to my house. Because uh, Joan has a dead son named Louie. Yeah. Um, so then Joan takes Annie to her apartment. Or and- does she? <gasps> Ooh. That's I didn't even think about that yeah. shit. Man, I, damn. Well I done, my dude. I just bought into it, but good point. We why Maybe it was Paymon the whole been time. Paymon the whole time. Great point. So they take Joan to... Uh, or sorry, Annie goes to Joan's apartment. Yeah, that was deep, Mark. That you was just blew good, my Mark, fucking man. mind. You actually like just fucking again the subplot, and I'll let you get right back into it. The subplot of this like crazy plan and like the subtle plants and stuff was the coolest fucking thing in this movie. I loved it so much. I just could not relate to any character. So I, I apologize. I'll let you get back to it. But it's I want right. you guys to know my hate is not about the movie. It's just about certain aspects of the movie. Um, so they get to Joan's apartment and, uh, Joan sets up like a sort of a makeshift Ouija in a sense where it's like a glass and they're like, move it right if it's yes or left if it's no. And Anne's like, or Andy's like, what is happening here? And then surprise, surprise, the glass moves and it like blows her mind. She's like, whoa. And then she gets out this chalkboard and the chalkboard starts writing. Hi, grandma. I um, love you, Grandma, yeah. or something like that. And I was like, no, you're done. And, and Annie, Tony Collette, is like, I am fucking out. Yeah, she's like, too much. This is this is way over the top. Fucking yep. deuces. And Joe's like, wait, 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 wait. Here's a, a pamphlet. If you want, you got to find your own thing. The chalkboard's my thing. Find your own connection. Don't use a chalkboard. And, uh, and she also makes mentions like, your whole family needs to be right. there. And you have to say this weird, like, gibberish language Hands shit. her a pamphlet, right, in some other language. And then this is what I'm convinced is not, in fact, seance material. It's a it's a it's a demonic pact. I think so. That is tying it's her the family. Invo- it's to the invocations. Payment. It's the invocations, which yeah. you kind of get a hint at later on when the mom looks through a book. Yeah, and so at this point, like, so never read anything you don't understand, right? Especially with the occult, and you just saw like. But at the same time, she believed she's Joan. like, oh my god, I could get to talk to Charlie again. Blah blah blah. Um, so if you guys had a dead kid, would you want to talk to that dead kid after they no. were dead? No, like I said in my Drag Me to Hell episode, is like I do not want to deal with pulling people I know back into the real world to talk to them. I don't know. It's not something I, I'm into. I don't have a kid, so it's hard know, to say. It's like, one of those things where it's like, you know, like if someone died, would you be like, yo, I really want to fuck with that spirit? Like, not like in a bad way, just kind of like, you but know. If you think, 
the way her, her child died in this really violent way. She didn't get an option. There's like any way to say goodbye. Like I think that, Oh that, no, I get that. That you're, drag you're right. to want to talk to your kid one last time, at least is probably so strong. You're absolutely right. And you're the right. movie does a very good job of showing us that Annie is not dealing with this. Not well, like not even in the worst way. She's just not dealing with right. it. She like trashes. So part of it, she's been working on like an art exhibit for months and months and months. And she just trashes the whole fucking thing. That's later on. But yeah, yeah she, She's, completely she's like, not doing well. So um, she does the seance. She goes home, does yeah. the DIY homemade seance, you know. Yeah, wakes up everybody, but this is after she's already invoked Charlie once. Right. She yeah. does. She did it on her own, which we don't see, and then she... Which I wonder, like, Joan was very clear that the entire family needs to be there, but then she, Tony Collette, Annie, f- does it by herself. See, yeah. I think I think Joan was saying the whole family needs to be there because she wanted Peter to be involved because Peter was supposed to be the preferred host. So I think Joan was all like, instead of basically saying, make sure Peter's there, yeah. she was like, make sure your whole family's there. They, so I think- they all had pieces of this, this resurrection to play. There's an imagery of payment with three heads. Three people are sacrificed. So real quick before we get that, so they, she does the um, she does the seance with the family. The dad's just like, this is fucking bullshit. We should not be doing this. <laughs> he looks this. under the table. I respect that. Yes. Because a candle lit out of the sky, like just burned yeah. up like well, the, the, four feet from the candle the itself. Cup, they do the move. cup thing, yeah, and the glass goes crazy, and then there's like uh, some more glass shatters in the background, and then, yeah, the candle thing happens. A bunch of weird negative shit. And Peter is crying his eyes out at this right. point. Peter he is, is like, terrified. all this noise. And, then, and he gets possessed. I guess, or yes, I don't Charlie, know. Charlie, Charlie yeah. possesses Annie's body, which I guess would be Paymon yeah. to some degree. And basically, she starts talking in tongues. I guess, or she starts talking like a child. Yeah. she's like, "Wait, mom, Same who's mom? Voice. Where's mom?" Yeah. And it's yeah. coming out Mom's of the mother's here? voice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Peter's like, "No, I'm fucking done with it." Starts crying uncontrollably. The dad's like, "This is fucking done." Because Peter's going through his own psychosis. Oh yeah, he's, he's seeing stuff at school. He's like seeing his reflection smile back at him. Yeah, that had happened. Yeah. He's like, he's starting to have Charlie. Uh, like symptoms of his throat closing right. up while he he's... sees Charlie in the corner of his bedroom. He's hearing clicking everywhere. And the head falls off the apparition yeah. and turns into a ball that rolls towards him. That was really creepy looking. Yeah. I was like, I thought a lot shit. of these these subtle scares were done very yes. well. So as all that's escalating, this is going to kind of wrap us towards the end. As all that's escalating and Peter's starting to like lose his shit a little bit more, the dad's having a hard time keeping everything together. Um, Annie. Is still going forward with trying to like contact, you know, whatever um, spirit, I guess, Charlie, she thinks it is. Right. And then on the bed, there is a sketchbook, because just like the chalkboard with Louie, uh, the sketchbook, which um, Charlie used to draw in, right. is now drawing pictures of Peter's face with the eyes X'd out by itself. <laughs> the creepy. mom sees this and she's like, okay. Something went wrong. Something's fucked up. That's when she goes through grandma's stuff, starts finding these like, like photo albums with the grandma and Joan and stuff hanging out. She pulls out this book of invocations, and it's got this whole little description of Paymon with certain things highlighted and underlined. And there's a picture of Paymon, and he's on the horse with his staff with three heads hanging from his belt. And then she's like, oh my God, I think something's going on. My mom was involved in this cult and Joan. And doesn't at that point... Annie run over to Jones to be like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, she goes to Jones. Yeah. Joan isn't there, and you see inside her apartment, there's like a picture of uh, of Peter with his eyes like cut out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they're at Peter's school, and he sees the um, 
that light that Mark was talking about, and it takes him, and Joan's yelling at him from the corner. It's almost like a, it's a wave of light that goes over the 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 screen of the yeah. of what's going on, and that's whenever you can tell that something spiritual is about to happen. And this, I couldn't tell if it was real or not. Like, was Joan actually there? Yes, she was. And I figured this out. Because the other students don't react at all to a crazy person screaming. Well, because I think that she... Before we say what she says, and she's yelling at Peter from across the street. See, this is kind of was playing into my first viewing. Is like, is Peter now hallucinating Joan? Yeah, that's... Is this the hereditary craziness that's happening? No, because Joan's not home. So Joan is actually... I thought, since Joan's not home, she's actually at the school like... Cool, I'm gonna handle right. this right now. And she's across the street from the school being like she's saying these random words that are clearly part of the language that was given to them earlier. And then she's like, Peter, Peter, get out. You are expelled. Yes, get I do out. That. And I think that was her expelling Peter from the host body. So Paymon had a free host to come into. Yeah. Yeah. She's yelling at Peter. She says, I expel you, Xantony Dagdany. A paragon. Those are the words Way she says to him. Way to fucking summon something, Mark. Way yeah. to go, buddy. Whoops. <laughs> Who's going to be host? Yeah. Anyway. So then he goes back to school and um, and he fucking kicks his own ass like liar, liar style. Yeah, he gets like possessed. His arm goes up <laughs> liar, in the air. It gets held up. I'm kicking my own ass. And he's freaking out. His face is contorted and then his face like slams itself into the desk and breaks his nose. Then... Cut to the school calling the home, trying to reach the mother, right. and it goes to voicemail. They're like, this is the school calling about your son. Because Annie, at this Beat point, up. runs home because she's piecing everything together. Like, oh, we fucked something right. up. We've summoned something. The dad goes and picks up the son who broke his own nose because of the crazy shit. This point, we see the final break for the dad. He's driving home. He almost runs a red light, slams on his brakes, and then he, he starts realizes crying. he starts crying uncontrollably. See, like this for is me, done. that was so powerful. I, was like, oh, dude, it was this guy is just intense. crushing. I felt He's bad been trying for him. to lift this up the whole time, and now is the weight is. He just was doing too much. it very half ass, but yes, this was definitely the moment. It's like he's been carrying this on his shoulders. <laughs> I may poorly. disagree with that assessment of half assness, but all right. no, he. There's so many things he should have done, but anyway, um, yes, he finally breaks. And it's really rough because you're like, oh my God, this dude, The Rock, not Dwayne Johnson, but The Rock of this situation has like finally cracked under the pressure of this. So he gets home. The mom, Annie, is in the driveway like, oh my God, oh my God, you have to see this because earlier she goes up in the attic and finds her decapitated mom's body. Oh yeah, we did skip that. She also tried to burn the book. Once she realized this is oh, all yeah, evil, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's like, "Okay, I'm going to put an end to this." She tries to do the right thing. She throws the book that you know Charlie's sketchbook into the fire, and it sets her on fire. So she takes the book out, and she's like, "Okay, I can't burn my own book. I'm going to have to." She assumes Steve could. Yes, which comes very important later. Then, for some reason, she goes to the attic and she pulls the attic down. There was a smell. The, the, uh, the her the decomposed body yes. starting to smell downstairs. I'm like a, army of flies and mosquitoes come down mm-hmm. and that's when we see the decapitated Both grandma flies head. And stuff, yeah. yeah. And uh, Annie is like, my mother's dead body's upstairs. I need you to go look at it and see what I saw. Like you yeah. just hear him go, ah! Yeah, then he comes back screen. down and he's like, he goes, all right. Ah, and he goes, what the hell? Like he goes, he said, what the hell or what the fuck? Like he has no better word for it. And but he's like, still pretty stoic, man. And I'm that's the first Steve time you've actually seen end. him respond in a reasonable fashion of like, okay, this is too much. And he finally says that and that's when she's like, panically like you got to burn this book i don't know what's going on so we've called something back we're playing with forces we don't understand and, and he then, starts to throw the book in the fire and turns around and says no this is it i've let you go in your psychosis 
far too long. Right. I've given into these whims of yours for too long. I'm finally putting but a stop to it. She coats that book in gas too. Yeah, which is like comes back because finally she's like, "Fine, I'll fucking do it." She throws the book in there, and poor Steve, man, he just goes up. Yeah, you think the book might light her on fire, but no. The moment the book goes up in flames, Steve is engulfed it in is fire. Barbecue Steve, man. And, and Tony's face is that of shock and terror, yeah. and then one of the spiritual lights washes over. And then her face is stone cold, no emotion. Right. Back to being possessed by Charlie or somebody. And then the movie, I mean, from this point on, the movie goes like off the rails in a yes. good way. It is awesome. This was probably like definitely the most like, oh, some shit's going, some shit might go down. Peter wakes up. Yeah. His mother is now on the ceiling, clenched to the wall. He doesn't see that. Peter does not see this. He looks outside and he sees a red light coming from the treehouse which is the place of satanic activity, right. apparently. He walks, and then as he's looking outside the w- window, this is my favorite scene of the movie. So good. As he's looking outside the window, you see Annie just float behind him and go straight out the door without a sound. She, she makes like crawls, a weird crawling yeah, motion. She kind of crawls through like a the spider air. through the, along the wall, out the door, and then he's like, what no, the fuck? No, it's fuck's? not along the wall. It's through the air. Oh, it's she's through the crawling. air? Yeah. She's, she's oh, it looked like it was just like air. pawing through yeah. the air oh, as she goes so out. Weird. It was, it was like, so oh, weird. It was so weird. So off-putting. So the sun goes downstairs at this point. Like, and of course, this is one of the things I had a problem with. It worked well in the, the play out of this, but there was so many slow pans and slow movement of this character. I'm like, a little bit faster, buddy. Let's go. But he goes yeah. downstairs. But they want to keep you off balance. I know. Is there stuff in the background? And they did. Like, they did. Because he goes downstairs, hears a noise. He hears the fire crackling from the fireplace goes in there, sees his dead burned to a crisp fucking dad on the ground. Serious. And then up behind him in the rafters is the mom clinging to the corner yeah. of the rafters. And you're like, oh my God, she's going to jump. Something's going to happen with her. The movie doesn't give Peter time to process that his dad's dead Anything either. at all, man. He and starts to cry, and then he hears a noise behind him, and it's the smiling man from the funeral. Butt-ass naked, standing in the doorway, half in shadow, just smiling at him. So off-putting. Yeah, and then so he like breaks into a run. He goes into the attic. And no, Tim, no, no, no. Oh, no has no, it even no, no. happened yet? It goes back to Peter, and he's looking at it, and the mother explodes out of the corner oh, of the room and right. starts chasing. Him and he runs upstairs away from her, runs up into right, the attic. He's like, Mom, mommy, mommy, it's me. Closes like, yeah. the door and he's like, I'm sorry, mom, but I have to like close you out. Cut to her knocking on the door. Like you hear thud, 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 thud on the yeah, attic this door. This is like one of the most disturbing scenes to me. Cut to the other side and she's on the ceiling banging her head into the fucking attic door trying to like break it down with her yeah. head. It's so fucking disturbing looking. And then he stands up in the attic. And then he sees naked people in the corner smiling right. at him. And, and then and in the distance, you start hearing a weird sound. It's really quiet. You're yeah. like, what is that Something sound? Something is cutting. Yeah. Something's like cutting. It's like a squish sound, yeah. He looks up to see his mother floating, slicing her head off from the back of her neck forward. With a wire. Yeah. She's like sawing through her neck with a wire while floating in the air. He freaks the fuck out, jumps out the window from the third story, lands in the garden bed down below, and then all you hear, you don't see this, all you hear is thud. The head comes off. A great thing to watch with the subtitles on because it says continue cutting and then thud her in the distance. (laughs) And then you like see her floating. like her. You see a a shadow. Yeah. A shadow goes over Peter, and then you see another flash of light that we've seen, which... 
to me, I'm convinced in that moment, Peter has died. Yeah, I was wondering. Yes, Peter's dead, Peter, and payment is now entered into the new yeah. vessel, Peter, he, and payment is now reborn inside Peter. He died He when he jumped. Like, he didn't make the jump. Yeah, Charlie slash payment, I think, is now inside Peter's body. Because as soon as up, he stands up, he clicks like Charlie. Yeah. Yes. The headless mom's body, who she just cut her own head off with a wire, starts floating up into the treehouse. And so Peter starts walking towards it. Well... Peter slash Charlie slash Paymon yeah. starts walking towards this thing and this really happy kind of like, you're out of the woods, you're out to of the woods. To me, kind of music the is playing. movie ended right there, it would have been better. I, I think, think a lot of people would have picked up on after it. After that was too much. I think a lot of people would not have picked up on the the bigger planet play if they hadn't added this extra part. But he walks to the treehouse, he goes up into the treehouse, and inside of that, tons naked, of naked people. All the bowing, naked people yeah. from the cult are there bowing in front of this giant makeshift little doll statue, well, it's, it's an effigy. It's like a it's a sta- yes. it's a mannequin body with Charlie's severed head on it, and on and Charlie's head is a crown. Right. I'm sorry, is that Charlie's severed yep. head on it? I thought that was a fucking cutout picture. Nope, that was her head. Ah. Oh fuck that noise! Yeah, they had went and dug up Charlie's head. And it put wasn't it on that to be statue. dug up though, because it was on the side of the road. Do you think they just grabbed it from the side of the road with the <laughs> Maybe ants? Maybe they did. Maybe we never actually saw. It was just a, a coffin going. Yeah, I asked everybody I was watching. It. I was like, if you saw a head on the side of the road, would you stop? <laughs> I would call the cops. Yeah, I would Everyone's definitely like, call. I'd the cops. I'd keep driving and call, and I was like, I would stop. I, I was like, I would too. stop and be like, yo, yeah. what's up with his head? But then once he gets in the treehouse, it's just exposition central. Well, the, it, the re, the, this is symbolic, right? This is, like, I think Garrett's right. I don't think we cut just yet. The audience may not realize that Peter is no longer Peter. He's now in the treehouse looking around like, what is going on? And then Joan steps up, takes the crown off of dead Charlie head and puts it on Peter. And this is symbolic of... Heyman, you're now in your new human host. And as he's looking around seeing the dead, as he's looking around seeing the, the naked people bowing and stuff like that, he looks over at the effigy, the giant statue of Paymon with Charlie's head, then looks down at the feet, and at the feet is the decapitated grandmother and the decapitated mother bowing to the feet of the Paymon effigy, hence the three heads right. at this point. Then the three Joan sacrifices walks, that yes. needed to be made. Then, the, then Joan walks over, Takes the crown, puts it on his head, and is like, "You are now Paymon. You are now like rebirth. We we're sorry we had yeah. to." And this is the bit I think oh, could have been cut. Goes on Jones, and on and Jones' on. description of it felt a little too long, a little too like. In case you missed it, well, she here's did what's say, happening. The first thing she did say, she's like, "We're sorry it took so long to get your preferred host, but we took care of it. Meaning we got rid of Charlie. Now you're back in the male body that you wanted." And then she goes on this little like. Cool, Paymon, we worship you. Please give us fortune and money and knowledge and blah, yeah. blah, blah, and we'll always follow you. And it's like, yes, it's this very long kind of like, like we didn't know what a satanic cult was going to do once they resurrected their master. It's like, yeah, we kind of got that already. Yeah, maybe I'm just a sucker for ambiguous endings, though. It would have been a good conversation we would have been having if, oh, did Peter really get possessed? What happened? You know, I, I mean, to me, I would think you the have, click would have given it away anyway. Did you like? Would you have liked it more if they had him go up into the um, into the uh, the treehouse? Had Joan put the crown on, but not a single word be said by anybody. I think that would have been fine too. If we still saw the, the two headless bodies kneeling at the Paymon effigy, if we still saw like the, yeah. the followers kneeling, but no one said anything, do you think you would have liked it more? I think I would have liked the ending more there. I think it would have liked it best if it ended just ambiguously with the click. And the happy music's kind of a giveaway too, but second best would have been that. I think what they did was 
it was like, I think they were, they had such a smart movie so far. And then I think they got scared and they're like, we better lay this all out for the audience in case people don't get it. I guarantee they, you someone was like, this is really ambiguous and someone may miss it. Cause honestly I had to explain the head thing to one of the people I was watching it to. I was like, dude, the three heads, like the moment they showed the picture within the, in the book yeah. with the three heads, I was like, we've seen two people be decapitated. And when we saw the mom sawing her own head off, I was like, there's number three, you guys. And yeah. it was like, oh, it's like a shit. test audience. I bet that was test audience. Feedback I guarantee you they, they threw it like on that. explaining what a cult yeah. was going to do with their God was like kind of unnecessary. But I think her saying you're now Paymon was needed for the general audience. Once you get to that point, you realize everything that has fucking happened in this film, the most subtle of subtle things like the nut thing. I didn't even think about that. The fucking deer in the road that made him swerve and hit the pole. I thought about that. But there's so many things in this movie that you're like, holy shit, this was all part of the plan. Yeah, it's it's very int- intricate and it was well laid out. And, and I, it leads me to question like, okay, now why do you think Grandma Ellen or whatever her name was and Annie's family was selected to birth payment? Because you're happy to give your life. Out. You're happy to give your life for a greater God. And I think that was... Because remember the pictures that she looked at in the... Um, in the photo album, when the mom's looking at the photo album, the grandma is in this white dress, this celebration dress on the ground with her arms raised up like, thank you. And everyone else is like throwing stuff at her like, you now have our blessing. You've chosen to sacrifice your lineage. There was a picture of grandmother being showered with coins yeah. yes. that was in her possession. So I think that was like, we're going to make everything amazing for you now because you're going to bring back the the greater thing. It's like, it's like I love the product so much I was happy to give my life for it. <laughs> right. You know, it's just like... It's sure. one of those moments where I think, wow, okay. So I think that's the hereditary aspect of it is like that lineage, that hereditary lineage was there to serve only that payment purpose. And I agree with you. But again, I think that, that uh, upon first viewing, I think there's enough there to question whether or not what we were seeing was real. If you were by yourself, like in your own mm-hmm. headspace watching this movie. Or in a movie, theater. That's what I'm saying. Like your own headspace, meaning you can't talk, you can't interact, you can't right. like really absorb beyond just what you're comprehending. That's a very valid assessment of what you saw for half that movie. Mm-hmm. It could totally just been mental disorder. Because the trailer doesn't tell you what kind of movie it is. No. It's just a, it's a flash of a bunch of scenes of crazy shit happening. So when I went into the film, I had no idea what and to it's expect. All, like the eulogies kind of going throughout it. So Right. Oh, that's right. That's it was a right. good trailer. Yeah. Uh, it was a good trailer. I kind of wish that I hadn't seen some of the scenes in the trailer, like the mom bashing her head into the ceiling, because I would have liked to just come to that naturally. No. But the, I'd have forgotten about it by oh, the time. Oh, you did? I, yeah. I'd watched it like five times before we went and saw it. Oh. So I generally only try to watch trailers once and then move on. That's probably a good idea. Yeah. I do the same thing except for Jurassic Park movies. I'll watch those shits <laughs> over and over because I fucking love dinosaurs. So Payment is a real demon slash spirit. Yep. I was very glad it wasn't made up. Um, some of his powers include knowledge of past and future events, clearing up any doubts, making spirits appear, creating visions, acquiring and dismissing servant spirits, reanimating the dead for several years, flight, remaining underwater indefinitely, and generally ability to make all kinds of things. <laughs> it was just like, and the everything power. <laughs> so he has um, all power. See, I and, knew some of that. And I knew also some of that. the ability to make people tell the truth or quote unquote clear doubts. Now that is exactly in play whenever, uh, whenever Tony Collette's having that scene where she's talking to Peter and Peter's like, why do you hate me? And she's like, because I never wanted you. And she like grabs her right. mouth like, holy shit, what did I just say? Because she's a dream. She's, well, I know she's it's a dream, dream, but I think that's, I that's supposed to be inside her yes. brain at that point. Yeah. I agree completely. Because that's like the, that's the first time we see her maybe like possessed by something. And that's like payment clearing up any doubts for the viewer. 
Yeah, she didn't want to be the mother. That's when they said that the familiars bring us good familiars and stuff like that. I was like, oh, that's definitely one of his powers. And so, like bring quote, us unquote, knowledge and dead bring us... Louis child could have been a familiar, could have been Paymon, who exactly. knows? But I don't think there was any child named Louis that was lost. That I makes think it sense. was all a front. That's, see, that's a good thing. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even question her actually legit having a kid and instead just using it as a tool to to further manipulation what happen. There was an interview I found with Ari Aster or Ari Aster. On uh, Inverse.com, they were asking him, uh, why did you choose payment? And he said, I wanted to avoid the devil because it's just been done so many times. I went into research and I looked for demon and demonology and payment struck me as one that made sense. Ultimately, I have no ties to the occult and I'd and heard from a few sources even that payment is considered passe. (laughs) (laughs) And an obvious choice. So that's among occultists. But I mean, you know, so I thought it was kind of, uh, interesting to hear. Way to pick the on. wrong demon, bro. Yeah. I also like the fact that she's like, we look to the Northwest for you, and it's like, oh, you guys are up in Oregon and shit. Again, there's so many subtle details in this movie that are so well thought out, and yeah. I'm just like, wow, that's... Again, I, I really wish I could have gotten past some of the character stuff that I had a problem with. And Well, would you recommend it? Absolutely. Without a fucking doubt. I will set the expectations of like, yo, you've got a two-hour slog, but it is going to pay off. Like, it is totally worth the two hours you're going to watch, but just be prepared. You're going to sit for two hours through some stuff that you may or may not be able to, like, completely be like, okay, I get it. It's exorcist-level pacing, and I think you need to prepare yourself properly. If you go in expecting the modern jump scare, loud noise banging in your face. And that's the way it was portrayed, though, in the trailers and stuff. So that's also like, when the fuck is something going to happen? And some stuff happened, but like, just not to the degree that the trailer made it seem like shit was going to go down. You can't trust trailers. I would highly recommend it, obviously. Uh, I think you could tell from where me and John were standing on at the beginning of this. Um, this movie was the highest grossing A24 film in theaters. It made 79 million bucks on a $10 million budget. Really? Yep. So that whole fucking it's them. the next exorcist really works evidently. Oh yeah, that's why marketing people use it. Wow, I don't I don't It was it. a solid movie, man. I I think it was like probably the best art movie that came out this year, maybe these last couple of years. I'm I'm right there with you, man. Halloween hasn't come out yet. That's true. So I can't give you that. Not no, yet. yeah. Fair enough. That's well worth waiting. Cuz I feel like that is going to be fucking I hope so. Yeah, I think it's just going to be a different awesome. kind of scary movie, though. But right, it's a slasher film. Yeah, it's not less a, of a like slow burn like this one. But yeah, I mean, I am excited for that one as well. I do like Halloween. We'll go out there, watch Hereditary. Let us know what you think in the comments or on our social media. Do you agree with Garrett? Do you agree with me? You should never agree with. Do you me. agree with John? <laughs> so let us know. I don't know. Why not? Eh, Why know. can't we agree? You with can you? make better decisions. You can you can make better decisions <laughs> with your life, unlike the people in this movie. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.